Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Welcome to the uh, Ocean Protect podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Ace Bucken. Welcome, Ace. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, mate. And uh, we've also got another special guest in uh, Michael Kenneth Wicks, who is the uh, co-founder of Ocean Protect, and he's lucky to get a run on a podcast today. So welcome, Mike. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> so today we find ourselves uh, up in Avoca, and we're actually sitting around Ace's dining room table. Used more um, for uh, kids' toys and the like these days and family dinners. But <laughs> So, uh, yeah, just on that, I guess, for the millions of listeners that we now have, because this is our third podcast, Ace, you want to give us your your, uh, your 101 on, on uh, where you came from? Um, is this your local hood, just for all the non-surfing listeners out there? Yeah, this is my local hood, downtown of Oka Beach, um, pretty rough and ready. <laughs> No, um, yeah, look, very lucky to, to kind of have grown up here and now kind of call this home. It's, um, you know, a beautiful little beach on the central coast of New South Wales. It's where I learned how to surf. You know, my dad started pushing me into waves when I was about four, four years old on a little boogie board and I joined the board riders club probably when I was about eight years old, you know, and that was kind of my start as a competitive surfer, which has obviously um, turned into you know, now having the opportunity to travel the world and do what I love. And I bought a house here, you know, just over a decade ago. And for the three or four months that I am home, this is this home for me. And it's now where I've chosen to raise my family. Um, so, yeah, feel feel very lucky to call this pocket of the Central Coast home. And uh, just going back to when you said you're, you're eight years old, uh, it started with board riders. So can you just explain what board riders is? Um, what type of organisation? Yeah, so board riders clubs, I think, are, you know, a big part of the, I guess, fabric of the Australian surfing community. Um, and when I say surfing, I'm talking about, you know, standing up on a surfboard and, you know, surfing the wave, um, however you choose to do that, as opposed to maybe being in a surf lifesaving club, which I was also a part of as a kid. And I think it's equally important, you know, to teach kids about the ocean, how to deal with um, rips and, things like blue bottles and stuff like that and just to get confident in the ocean. But, yeah, board riders clubs um, specifically, you know, gave me my start as a competitive surfer. That's where I got to look up to, you know, some of the older guys who were on tour at the time like, um, you know, Mark Sainsbury, Shane Powell, 
Ross Clark Jones, Bryce Ellis, guys that had grown up in the area and made a career from surfing and, you know, who I wanted to emulate as a young kid. Well, you've certainly done that. Um, <laughs> well, cool. The whole point of, uh, of having a chat to Ace today is, is really to obviously find out a bit more about him, but to open up the conversation around, uh, I guess, ocean, uh, marine, debris, uh, and really try and get some insights from Ace as to he's travelled all around the world. He's seen more oceans than, than m- myself and Mike and probably, you know, for, for most people. So, you know, just a couple of questions or one question I've got for you. Where is the most uh, dirtiest place as far as marine plastic is? Is, is it in, in Indonesia? In terms of marine plastic? Yeah, yeah, physically in the surf. I think for marine plastic, um, yeah, you, you're right. I think um, Indonesia and probably, you know, if we're going to be specific, I'd say Bali. Yeah. Um, and if you want to get more specific, I'd say, you know, in and around Kuta, Legi and Seminyak and then also on the east, east coast, you know, where there's a lot of rivers that are running directly into the ocean. You know, Bali is somewhere that I've spent – probably, you know, years of my life. We used to go there every winter school holidays as a family um, and spend the three weeks there and I kind of – I didn't learn to surf there but I kind of learned how to be a good surfer in Bali. The waves in Indonesia are like kind of a rite of passage if you're an Aussie surfer yeah. going to surf there and um, I guess I've seen it change, you know, dramatically. I think I did my first trip there when I was – would have been, say, seven, so that would have been – right around 1990 yeah. um, and, you know, Bali was was developing then but it was reasonably undeveloped and I remember walking down to Uluwatu and there was, you know, only a couple of Warungs there. I remember going to a place called Dreamland where there was one Warung. Now there's like a huge hotel, there's a golf course, um, you know, so I've seen it change a lot and along with that I've seen the pollution and the marine Pollution specifically become like a a crisis there. Um, when it rains there now, like you literally are surfing, you know, plastic barrels. And there's been some pretty terrible, beautiful shots, whatever you want to call yeah. them, of surfers in these barrels with plastic, you know, fully through the lip and so on. So, yeah, I think Bali is a little bit of a microcosm of the whole problem in terms of, you know, lack of infrastructure, you know, inaction and tourism and you know money basically making that issue really kind of much more accelerated than you know what we see here in Australia so are you saying uh, so when you first went there you did you notice the the problem with the, the pollution from the locals or it's not the locals do you against um, the development or do you against the culmination of everything yeah look I think it's hard to point the finger but I think the first place you got to look is yourself like you know, Bali's a beautiful place and part of the reason that it now faces those problems is because of us, you know, specifically Australians. Like we go there in the millions each year and, you know, when you put something in the bin, it's probably then getting thrown in a river upstream and is flushing out in the ocean, you know, later that day or the next time it rains. Sure, there's a lack of education, you know, domestically around waste. There's a lack of infrastructure and, you know, I think there's things that they could be doing there to manage it better. But I think as, you know, tourists, we need to kind of be part of the solution as well rather than pointing the finger. Yeah, I mean, oh, look, I've been to Bali heaps. Um, I'm not surfers like the two of you. Uh, but 
I certainly noticed it from a infrastructure point of view. You've got a lot of combined sewer and stormwater uh, systems. Wixie, you've you've been there heaps as well. Oh, look, absolutely. And I think that education is probably a big point in Bali. People think you just, as I said, you pick up the bin, you <coughs> throw it downstream, out of sight, out of mind, and. You know, even in Australia, I suppose, people don't understand how this stuff actually gets in the ocean. It's pretty straightforward. We concrete and pave all our pathways to create development, which is fine. That's what we have to do. But to go with that, we just continually, for whatever reason, just throw the rubbish on the ground. And and people do that, whether it's Bali, whether it's Australia, whatever it is. But I think over there, you're right, we've got some – we really should show some stewardship, I suppose, in this area and say, guys, come on. We throw it on the ground, it's going to end up in the oceans, it's going to affect the tourism industry here. Like, I haven't been to Kuta and Seminyak for years and I don't really want to go back. And I was really shocked, I suppose, when I was there in Karamas two years ago that on the east coast there, Karamas, which is not heavily populated, there was a lot of stuff in the water. I know it was a wet season and we're going to get it flushing out, but I was surprised how much was actually there. And I think... You know, I think we've got to help educate the people there to say, look, guys, if we don't drop it there in the first place, it won't be there. I know that's not the solution, but I think it'll go a bit of a way to help them solve some of the problem. Part of the problem there too is like just the sheer amount of things that are produced now with plastic. You know, if I think back to when I first went there, part of the beauty of Bali is, you know, the Hindu culture and all the little offerings and the way they live their life like that. And, you know, they used to eat out of banana leaves and the offerings would be flowers and fruit and so on. Now you see an offering with a Mentos and a Bang Bang in plastic amongst some fruit and flowers and so on and that gets thrown in the river and, you know, it's not biodegradable. It doesn't break down. So their way of life has changed as plastic has become more and more frequent and, you know, that's an international problem, you know. I think it's up to humans as as consumers to really demand that we aren't consuming as much plastic. You know what got me? Um, So I've been with my partner for a couple of years and she's got a 10-year-old son, Lewis, little legend. School lunches, like, wow, how much plastic, you know, I I used to eat them at school, what are those Le Snack things, you know, with three three crackers and a bit of cheese. Don't get me wrong, I love a Le Snack. But it wasn't until I met uh, Catherine and, then, and obviously Lou, I'm like, oh, my God, like you're packing his lunch. And, and you, you, it's really hard as, as a parent to get away from that. You've, it's, a, it's a social decision that you have to go, well, no, you're not going to have a music bar wrapped in thing. I'm going to have to make you one. I mean, uh, have, do you guys notice that? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a bit of an issue. I see, look, I've got four kids, um, didn't buy a TV till late. So um, there's a few of us <laughs> in our household. And, and I think... I don't think we can eliminate single-use plastics in, in the short term. I think we just got to get smart about how we do it. So, look, what, I suppose what we try and do is a piece of fruit, you know, whether it's an apple or banana, it's in its own packaging already, so they're going to have that and then just have one of those items because you can't eliminate it altogether because their friends have got it. So I think if you can just reduce the amount you actually use and then substitute it with something else that's already got its own packaging, like a piece of fruit, which is great, I think that sort of goes partly away to sort of helping solve that problem. But yeah, you're right. You can't get away from it. And we just, I think we just got to think a little bit smarter about how we do these things. <laughs> what, what about you, Ace? Yeah. No, look, I mean, lunch. our two girls, you know, aren't at primary school yet. They're at preschool. Not here now. They'd be running around under the table. Um, but, 
Yeah, look, I think, like you said, um, I think it would be unrealistic to kind of expect that we can completely eliminate single-use plastics straight away. I think that's something that we should be trying to move towards minimising. But I think part of this whole movement is about saying, hey, look, we're not perfect but we're going to really try. And I think it's also about kind of demanding from – um, the places, you know, whether it's Woolies and Coles and the places that we buy our produce, that things aren't wrapped in plastic. You know, when you go and buy a bunch of tomatoes, they shouldn't be in their own little plastic container. Um, you know, obviously now they've banned single-use plastic bags, which is a start, but, you know, I think it can go a lot further. Like you said, you know, whether it's cheese and crackers or muesli bars, you know, it's up to us as parents to kind of start to think outside the box a little bit, but really it's just... What did our parents do, you know, because those things weren't around back then. Well, Tupperware's come back in. Oh, I remember Tupperware from um, when I was young. What am I, 37? And now I've just got an increase. So even in our household, there's just Tupperware bloody everywhere. But you're right. It, 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 it is a conscious conscious thing. And if we don't demand it of, of the organisations, then they're not, they're not going to change. Yeah. So it's a consumer-driven situation. Yeah. No, look, I think we're a little bit lazy too. Probably lazy is probably not the best word, but there's so much going on in our lives. And look, sure there was 30 years ago, but life seems very fast-paced now. Mm. You look at the media cycle, it's so quick. Things just turn over so quickly. And I suppose living in Sydney, everyone's got to work just to pay the bills and, you know, keep everything going. So, you know, it's easy just to sit there and say, I'll just grab that because it's already done for Mm. me. And I think that's, whilst it's a little bit lazy, it's it's probably become the necessity at the moment for most of us, which is not right, but I think that's probably part of the change. We need to find more time to think and go, well, hey, actually, how can I make a difference here? How can I make a change? Sure, you're not going to solve all the problems yourself, but you'll go a long way to, I suppose, help educating other people. Because if you can get your friends involved or your family and say, look, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to get these straws and my drinks for the kids because there's just no need, they can just have it straight out of the cup. You think about how many times you go out, places you go to, and you think just the spread of, you know, I suppose the good word about that and social media, and well, hey, we can actually reduce the use here pretty easily just by educating ourselves and the people around us and then get them to educate their peer groups as well. So, you know, I think all those things would make a positive impact and will certainly help. I went um, to a cafe the other day and with my reusable coffee cup and got uh, a coffee and ordered a juice. And so I went to all the effort, obviously, well, not to the effort, I obviously always have one, but then I walk out with a single-use juice with a plastic straw. And it's like I started thinking, well, what's the next thing? Do we do we need to all carry around our own juice bottle? You know what I mean? Like you're going to have your coffee one and then you're going to have your juice one. Do we – I just was from an idea point of view. Do you – is that where it's going to go? Are we going to carry around our own cup, whether it's you put coffee in it, whether you put a beer in it, whether you yeah. put – you know, is, is, have you ever thought about that? Because Maybe, it, I mean, but I guess like you were saying, it's like 30 years ago you didn't go and get a takeaway juice. You went and you had it there yeah. and, you know, maybe it was like the old milk bar. You had your milkshake in the steel. You know, yeah, yeah, silver yeah. steel thing and it's like so – but because, you know, our lives are so fast, it's like, you know, I know myself, it's like I drop the kids to school, you know, I'll go to the gym and then I need a smoothie somewhere and it's like – like you said, you grab it and it's in a plastic container or so on um, because you're running on to the next thing. So it's either about being prepared and having, you know, a juice container or whatever it is or, you know, maybe you make your smoothie at home, maybe you sit down and you have it somewhere. 
Um, but I think also like businesses, small businesses can be more responsible in terms of providing, you know, biodegradable packaging or at the very least recycling, you know, what plastic and cardboard they do use. Yeah, cool. Okay, so just just going on to this subject of water. So I, I met uh, Ace probably three weeks ago, really. Um, he um, very graciously gave us his time to help us launch <laughs> Ocean Protect. Um, so thanks, Ace. It was it was wicked. Um, but really having a conversation with him and 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 talking to Ace about stormwater runoff and and the effects of that. Did you know anything about stormwater runoff? Um, and what, what? And could you share what you did know and what your experiences are? Yeah, look, I didn't know enough. I think probably in a nutshell, I wasn't aware that the impacts of stormwater are as profound as they are, and that you know stormwater contributes as much to the plastic pollution problem, heavy metals, and the like as it does. You know, and I think when I when I learnt that, um, I realised that you know, maybe some of my efforts needed to be refocused a little bit in terms of, you know, making that part of the conversation around plastic pollution, which is, you know, pretty prominent in, I guess, my world as a pro surfer and um, as someone who, I guess, feels a responsibility to, you know, play a role in trying to bring the oceans back to life, you know, to to kind of um, hear that, within my lifetime, you know, there could potentially be more plastic in the ocean than fish. It's something that, you know, I, I'm i not stoked about, you know. And, yeah, last Friday, I mean, you saw kids all around the world striking, you know, for the climate. And one of the things I read that really struck me was, you know, the young girl who started the movement saying, you know, I don't want you to be ambassadors, I don't want you to, raise awareness, I want you to panic, you know, I want you to panic Gre- now. That was and, Greta. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. And, you know, I think we need we need more of that. You know, I think people need to realise that this really is a big issue right now. Yeah, I mean, look, we've lived and, you know, been involved with stormwater for a long time. Wixie, you're probably 17 years. Is that right? Probably longer. 18, yeah. Showing your age. Me, about uh, 12 years. But so we, we live and breed it. But what, what sort of uh, – I don't understand is that people don't put two and two together. So just going back to one of your comments about Bali, you, you know stormwater's runoff is a problem because you see it in Bali. Did you, before you sort of met us, did you know it was happening here in in, in Australia or you, you, it's not so prevalent that you that you didn't think about it? Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's probably maybe like you said, it's not joining the dots enough. Like you're aware of the issue definitely aware that stormwater, you know, was a big contributing factor to ocean pollution but just not on the scale that it is and that it is actually the main source of pollution in the ocean. That, that fact in regards to more plastic than fish, do you know that's actually, I thought it was pieces? It's actually by mass as opposed to pieces. And, Wixie, from, from your point of view, um, obviously you've got four kids, you've lived and breathed this industry. For, for someone, a father of four kids, what do you think we can be doing better? And, and apart from the obvious, but, you know, to Ace's point four, it, it really is up to the individual. So what, what do you reckon we can be doing? Because it's all very well to sit around and talk about things like this, <clears throat> but one of the things of the Ocean Protect podcast is to – try and empower people to, to make a difference and whether it's at home or within your communities. Yeah, look, 
the whole ocean plastics, ocean garbage thing, it's it's a bit different to climate change. It's and I think it we don't actually it's a fairly easy problem when you actually start delving into it. The science is really straightforward. It's fairly basic. And and it's you know, it's surprising that a lot of the the bigger you know, government organisations don't really understand the problem. It's that's more alarming to me than than some of the stats we see coming out. But you know, it's pretty simple. We drop it on our roads and our drains. It goes out in the creeks and the sea. I think if we just educate people and say, "Look, guys, do you know that?" You know, a simple education to say, "Look, you know, all the stuff that we drop here, it's going to end up in the ocean." So, the cheapest way to actually tackle this problem is just to not drop it in the first place. Okay, great. So we don't drop it, but there'll still be some people that do. Okay, let's look at single-use plastics and try and reduce the amount of those. So, you know, re- recycle, I suppose, where we can. But I think we've also got to educate, I suppose, local, state and federal government to say, listen, guys, we're dropping these things in our catchments. Um, and it's not like other, you know, like climate change where we don't really, we haven't 100% got grasp of the solution yet. We know we have to do this all the problem. We can just trap it, clean the traps and remove it. And if we reduce the amount of pollution going down there in the first place, well, we're halfway solved the problem. So I think education to say, look, guys, this is not an insurmountable task that, that we can't make a dent at. We can make a significant difference. We can certainly change, especially what's happening locally in our own landscapes. But I think that, you know, we can if we push that message out there and get people to see the link between what they drop to where it ends up, and there is a solution, it's right there in front of us. We've just got to have the will, the political will to do it. I think that'll go a long way to solving part or most of the problem. And, and when you say political, uh, like before we did this podcast, we went and checked out uh, the Avoca Beach sort of car park by the Surf Life Saving Club. Uh, they're doing a bit of upgrades and they said it was, it was flooding yesterday. Now, that's a very local issue. It can't be left just up to local government. We've got... You know, do you think it needs to be a federal government issue? Because, I mean, I certainly do. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts. Look, federal or state, and you look at the state we live in, New South Wales, it, it's the only, you know, it doesn't have state policy around treating your stormwater. So in Queensland, there's state policy. You treat your stormwater to a certain standard when you hit, your development hits a certain size, there's thresholds. There's the same thing now in Victoria. Yeah, but that's only new development, mate. I know it's new development. So, well, you know, new development. We've we've worked out, done some some calcs and some educated calcs. We reckon only two percent of the urban catchment, so cities in Australia, have any form of stormwater treatment. It's just not good enough. You know, um, you, you go back to Sydney um, pre nineteen ninety five, where we started putting devices in pre Olympics. What about all the infrastructure that's that's been in place for the last hundred years with mm. no stormwater treatment? We know that that's where the majority of the pollution's coming from. How the hell are we going to get the federal politicians to take responsibility for for, for that hundred years of development or longer? Because it's just not good enough. There's there's not enough treatment devices out there. And as you said before, sure we're going to stop people littering. But that's only one form of how it gets out there. There's accidental litter. I mean, driving up the um, freeway to come and see Ace today, you look in those swales, mate, there, there would have been a million bits of rubbish between Sydney and where we turned off. Mm. You know, so it, and look, roads, for instance, I'm going to really get into roads because after our launch, uh, I was supposed to get a bit of TV coverage with uh, RMS, Roads and Maritime 
services? Sorry, RMS. Roads are the biggest contributor to stormwater runoff, and in particular, it's the, the most polluted area is roads. Now, they're the biggest road owner. They've got to start lifting their game. I'm not sure if ACE is aware, but in New Zealand and in most other places in the Western world, if you get over 40,000 vehicle movements in a day, then it becomes a motorway sort of status. Anywhere in the Western world, not anywhere, most of it in the Western world, you've got to treat your stormwater to a higher level of what they are. And here in Australia, we don't. But, I mean, this is the kind of stuff, isn't it, that people need to know? Like, I mean, I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that our roads are not being treated for stormwater and that that's an international standard. By oh, well, they, look, they are, but to a very low standard. Like, well, most wouldn't be, though. Most, they'd, they'd just be for spill control, a lot of those roads. But, to but, rem- but remember, we, we've done some work where new motorways, you might put some GPTs, which is called gross pollutant traps, basically taking out bottles and stuff. So they'd have them, they'd have big, they'd have swales, that have detention, but they would not be treating for heavy metals no. or or any of that real nasty stuff that comes off our roads. And but people need to know. Look, I think so, and I think community awareness. We, we've got to we've got to take the his, issue head on. I think, and yeah, RMS are a, a major polluter. Um, they could do a lot better, certainly with the infrastructure out there. Like we know, there's infrastructure that can solve this problem. We just there's just not the will to put it in. And same with Local areas as well, you know, all your local roads are owned by council, but council won't touch it, council won't look at it. And, you know, I think if the community stands up and says demands better from their local government and and from their state organisations, I think we'll see a result. But without that will, they, I don't think they'll budge. Unfortunately, and they should. You know, we can see the problem. We see how it gets there. We, We know we can solve it. There's just not that will there to do it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I guess that's the frustrating thing from someone who I guess has been lucky enough to make a living in the water to know that there are real solutions out there. You know, like you said, climate change, the science is evolving. Plastic pollution, it's like the facts are right there in front of us and solve the solutions. It's just about, I think, leadership. And obviously that comes on lots of different levels. It's frustrating and it's difficult, but I guess we need to demand more from, you know, our local governments, from our local councils and, and of ourselves, you know. Um, we're the ones using those roads. We're the ones contributing to the pollution, you know. If local or state government said, hey, guys, we're going to impose a ocean pollution uh, levy, it's going to cost you 100 bucks a year. Would you, would you care paying that? You, 
Hundred percent. I mean, I, I think that's why I get frustrated. You know, like hearing my friends complain about you know taxes and so on. And yes, like look, some of the stuff is potentially going to areas that it could be going elsewhere. But it's like if you knew, hey, we're going to start to look after the runoff on our roads and this is the levy that we're paying that's going towards that, you know that your money's going towards a good place and it's going to help improve the environment that you live in. Wixie? Absolutely. Look, you only have to get an ear infection, trip to the doctor from just surfing with crap in the ocean that, you know, from a financial perspective, it's a no-brainer. Would I pay 100 bucks a year to ensure that kids can clean, swim in clean water? Absolutely. I don't, I don't want them swimming in this rubbish and ingesting all this crap. You know, if we can pay a small fee like that, and yeah, you're right, it's not wasted. It goes towards solving the problem, either, you know, putting new infrastructure in, education, maintaining old infrastructure, retrofitting, you know, sites where, you know, there's, there's high pollution, that there's no redevelopment. Like, you know, we can do all this. It's easily achievable. But, I, you know, $100 a year on something like that, I think is – you know, it's really – you look at what we spend on coffee each year. I'm only new to the coffee scene for 12 months, but you look at what you're spending <laughs> and it's just – What do you drink? Triple shot skin flat white. Wow. Yeah, I need to fire up the caboose. I'm a bit of a unit, so wow. yeah, I need to – I what, like the what, caffeine. What are you? I'm a double shot, small double shot latte. Latte, okay. You're a bit of a greyhound. That must bounce you around a bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, Wixie copied me as always. Um, yeah, uh, Especially the hair? Don't think so. Mate, no one can copy your hair. Uh, no, I'm a triple shot flat white regular, but I'm not a scum. But you copied the, the, the triple shot. You'd have two of them a day, wouldn't you? Yeah. In a reusable cup, I hope. Yeah, the Ocean Protect <laughs> cup, mate. What, yeah, was yours in a reusable cup today? It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> no, you got me. Shame but it was you. recyclable. It was recyclable. <laughs> actually, that brings me on a good point. Some, uh, Brad actually came up with an analogy which really simplifies w- what the problem is. Um, if your kitchen tap was over, was left on and it starts flooding your kitchen, what do you do? Do you go get a mop and start cleaning it up or do you turn the tap off? What do you do first? I'd hope you'd fix the tap. Well, of course. So if you if you put that analogy into pollution in our oceans, you know, we've got Boyan Slant out there in his ocean cleanup situation where he's physically trying to clean it up out in the middle of the Pacific and all around the, the world. Well, We've got to stop it from even getting out there. As soon as he picks up one bit, there's more coming in. There's more coming in. And that's what we need to be doing is we need to be the lifeguards of the ocean. We need to actually go, regardless of we're going to reduce single-use plastics, we've got all these methods to reduce. At the end of the day, we've got to stop and we've got a responsibility to ourselves and to children and, and you know grandchildren. We've got to physically stop it. When you said before about governments taking action, the state of California have said by 2025, no litter will enter any of our waterways. Wow. They've just made it happen. It's costing them billions and billions of dollars. Jim Lenhart was on a previous episode. But they've just gone, you know what, it's so important, and they've just had to pour money into it. So if they can do it, I mean, they're a pretty green state. We have 90% of our population, I think it is, live on the coast, and we have probably the best waterway in the world in Sydney Harbour. Why can't we? Would you yeah. swim in Sydney Harbour? No. Have you swum in Sydney Harbour? Um, I mean, I've swum at the back of Manly, so yeah. I guess, yeah, I have. 
Um, that sort of open water though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't swim down under the, under the Harbour Bridge or, you know, <laughs> by the Opera House. I think but, I've um, jumped off there on a boat party once, but I yeah. think I've had a few beers. Yeah. Like, but, um, <laughs> I just wouldn't, you know, like if you look at the uh, Middle Harbour and you look at Sydney Harbour today, it is brown. Yeah. From the rain we've had over the last, I mean, it's been a big bloody storm event, but it is disgusting. Not only you've got the runoff from all the urban urban areas, but you've got all the runoff from the soils. And like Wixie and I were talking on the way up here, when water, I mean, he's a smart one, when water hits your, your pavement, obviously it goes, it increases its velocity. So it goes a lot faster and, and gets more energy. So then it can mobilize your pollution. But when it hits sort of grassed areas, it soaks into it, doesn't it? What's the actual technical? Yeah, it'll it'll soak up a little bit depending on your, your field capacity, your soil, depending on how much runoff you'll get. There's like a lot of range of factors, but that's generally one of the factors. So you know, if you've already had a long, long hit of water, you know, twenty, thirty mils, you probably get runoff fairly quickly. It's the rainfall threshold we call it when it hits the pavement. What, how much rainfall till we get runoff? So, mm. yeah. Cool. Um, I've got a good question. So uh, this is for both Ace and Michael. If you can invite uh, four people over to a dinner party, dead or alive, who will it be and why? I'll start with you, Ace, because you're <laughs> thinking. Um, so it's four people, dead or alive, <coughs> who would it be and why? I would probably start with Nelson Mandela. Boom. Um, because uh, my folks both grew up in Africa. Um, they actually left South Africa you know, because they strongly disagreed with, you know, what was going on um, in in the apartheid state and, you know, luckily enough they decided to come and start a family in Australia, um, you know, and their, their Nelson Mandela was, you know, at that point in time locked up on a little island off, off Cape Town and, um, you know, had the strength of character to continue fighting for what he believed was right. Um, so I think, you know, having the opportunity to chat to him would be um, pretty profound. So David Attenborough, I I love you know listening he's a legend, to isn't he? yeah yeah he he's just as you said he's an absolute legend and um, you know someone who's tirelessly you know fought for wild ecosystems and um, you know been a champion of the planet. Um, I think so. Richard Branson. Um, yeah, you, you know he's, he's I one think of my favorites. for me he's a great example of. You know what a modern successful businessman can do to not only be successful in the business space, but to have an environmental conscience and be, um, you know, willing to give back. Um, and he, I think, from what I can gather, he doesn't always, you know, toot his own horn in terms of what he's doing environmentally. I'd probably invite my young um, five-year-old daughter Ruby, just because I think for her to be able to listen to. Those three individuals. I mean, to be honest, there probably should be probably should be a, a woman in there too. So, um, who would I invite? I would probably um, maybe Jane Goodall, who you know spent her life out there studying the chimpanzees. Ruby and I watched that documentary the other weekend, or maybe you know Frida Kahlo or. Someone like that. It's a, it's a pretty interesting lineup for if you got one of them at your dinner table, yeah. you'd be pretty happy, you know. Um, Wixie, have you got have you got one? Well, well, besides my beautiful wife and my lovely four children, I'd have to leave them out of this one. <laughs> a heads up for them, thanks, guys. Um, look, I think 
I'd probably have our current Prime Minister and let me just, you know, bit of a caveat here. Who's ScoMo? I'd have probably ScoMo there. <laughs> what? Oh, wow. Yeah, you just go with me. He's here. from go Cronulla. Just can't go take with it me. out of it. Was go with me. Egg Boy going to be yeah, on the – Yeah, probably leave Egg Boy out of it. I think we'll get much done if Egg Boy's there. Or is, um, is he serving the drinks? <laughs> I'd hope not. Eggnog latte. <laughs> we might not get out of there that night. I don't know. Um, uh, big, I think one of yours, out. David Attenborough, I think David Suzuki – I think yep. point slant and then just get those guys in a room and say, look, here's a problem, ScoMo. We can fix this problem. It's pretty simple. Goes from here, gets to there, it affects the birds and the fish and there's a problem, affects the environment. It's a localised problem and a global problem as well. Mate, just do some legislation. We can fix this problem, you know. Get those four guys in a room and say, here's a problem, here's a solution and, and ScoMo, can you actually do something about it? Can you help us solve a bit of this problem? Do something. I still would not have ScoMo on yeah. at my dinner table for well, four people. Well, mate, he might not be around no, politically for no, much longer. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> okay, well, Bill Shorten then. One of the two. Whoever's in power so yeah. he'll make yeah, some change, yeah. okay? Right, again, I – Well, I know. mean, on, on that point, though, I mean, I think we were chatting about it before, you know, and you guys brought it up at your launch that politically the environment now to most people is the most, most important issue, right, when they're, they're kind of thinking about who they want to elect. You know, you you get the flies in the mail, or you you kind of see the candidates touting their policies, and none of them want to talk about the environment because. But why is it electoral poison? Because you know they don't want to mention coal or renewable energy for fear of kind of alienating part of their you know voting base. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. I mean, what is it like? Well, but see, that's that's the thing. People have they, they've got to pick their battles and what they're strong at politically to get the certain amount of votes. So, you know what I mean? Exactly what you just said before. If they pull up an issue which which is divisive. Is, yeah, and, and, and they can't do anything about it, isn't that like political suicide? Wixy, come on, mate. You're from Cronulla. You know, you you know, you you and ScoMo are like that. No, no, look, I understand. You you don't want to hold the poison chalice and then try and get reelected to office. I, I agree with your point, but but this is ocean plastic, ocean garbage is not that. It's you know, what industry is gonna suffer from us stopping putting sh- waterways we're not about losing a heap of jobs from coal and i get that it's going to take someone to die from it and and just hear me out i had a quite a high level politician in queensland tell me jeremy do not say it's a public health issue that's an over that's an exaggeration do not scare people it is a public health issue we've just said before would we swim in sydney harbour no who uses the harbour? The public. So you're telling me that we won't swim in it because we know what's in it. It's going to take someone to die and a direct cause from this for, for for people to take, you know, and acknowledge that stormwater runoff is not only killing our oceans, it's actually killing us as well. And in one of our other podcasts, Jim Lenhart spoke about heavy metal uh, runoff from, and down into creeks and explained what effects it does. Now, this this... Um, stat will will freak you out. When heavy metal runoff gets into uh, rivers and creeks, it stuffs the internal sonar of fish up. So fish don't know which way to go in rivers. So therefore, you know, they want to go left to go and breed or, you know, that, that actually stuffs them up. Secondly, it's been proven to make fish dumb. And I, I'm like, what, what do you mean by dumb? It's actually been proven to make fish dumb so if 
you know, a fish needs to get away from a predator or, you know, a big bear is going to eat a salmon or whatever. Instead of going hiding underneath a rock like it normally would, it's just wigs out and goes, oh, I'm just going to stay here and get eaten. Now, that's, that's what happens to fish from stormwater runoff. We're drinking that water. We're eating that fish. Does that not blow your mind? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's it, it's the indirect causes that you don't see, isn't it? It's like, um, you know, the effect of, you know, stormwater or runoff, you know, whether it's in fresh or salt water, the effect it's having on our food source and obviously where then, you know, we rely on the ocean for what is it, roughly 30% of our food and if if 30% of our food is chemically damaged, you know, due to heavy metals or, um, you know, the, the amount of plastic they're now finding in the stomachs of fish is pretty pretty startling. So, um, you know, it, it is a health issue now for us, it not is. for our kids. It's 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 now. I mean, um, that's it. But, but how do we, apart from doing podcasts and apart from, you know, community involvement, how are we getting this? I mean, I showed you that. I mean, do we need to go and wax Gomo over the <laughs> head with a plastic fish? Or it, it, it is a public health issue, and we need to be saying, not talking about ocean plastics and stormwater runoff. We need to be talking. This is a public health issue, and having a conversation around that. And and, and well, that's what I believe. Yeah, and it it is it is scary. It is truly a scary issue, and like. You know, you see all these reports, oh, look at the water in the harbour, the water's fantastic, it hasn't been this good for 20 years. It's not the water itself. It's all the metals and all the crap that's dropped out near the outlets and then you've got oysters, you've got prawns. They eat it, it assimilates in their flesh. You know, it's in the food chain. We've got all this stuff in the food chain, you know, little fish, big fish, whatever, and we then eat that fish it's a massive problem and it's scary. It's in our food chain and if we don't mitigate it, it's just going to get worse. And we don't know what the long-term health effects of this are. No one's got any idea. Yeah, and I guess, you, you know, that's probably the indirect impact, you know, I guess if you look at something like, you know, glyphosate in the garden fertilizer, yeah. the, the garden spray that Monsanto produces. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what's selling, it called that everyone that's, that's uses? Sold in Bunnings everywhere. Oh, um, the um, – oh. Sorry, Bunnings. I love you, Bunnings. I can't think of it. Roundup. Roundup. Roundup, exactly. You know, there's thousands of pending legal cases at the moment where it's now – I think there was a landmark case where it was proven that, you know, the use of Roundup has – been proven to cause cancer from, um, you know, infiltrating the food that we eat and, and you know, kind of getting in our food chain. So, you know, I think when you start to think about heavy metals potentially, you know, reaching the ocean and affecting our food source in that way as well, um, it is a, a public health issue. Well, that's maybe what we need to be doing is, is start talking that heavy hitting because it is a bipartisan issue. Both sides of politics have got to got to bloody put a handle on this. Uh, let's get a couple more things before before uh, we'll leave you alone and uh, let you have uh, your day back. Two things: Ocean Protect. One of our plans is, or one of our dreams is to take this ocean protection model, and, and this is not our core business. This is something we want to try and do: is is take Ocean Protect from a a, a label point of view from a brand point of view and 
as a non-for-profit, try and spread the word. Number one, I just want to know, would you sit on an Ocean Protect board uh, if and when we could get this up and running? Because we'd like to raise money around the world and have a board of people distributing the money. Um, we've only got uh, 10 spaces. You're the first person we've ever asked. So Ace Bucken, would you, if we got a board, consider coming on it? Yes, I'd be honoured to. Thank you. Brilliant. Number two, have you travelled back to um, Savrigan much? Yeah, I have. I have. We're lucky enough to um, have an event in Jeffreys Bay each year. So um, July each season we go there for the World Tour event and occasionally if I've got time either before or after I'll go and visit. Um, some of my mum's family live in a part of South Africa called Beaufort West, which is in the Karoo. Kind of, I guess it would be similar to Dubbo or something. Um, it's a really small um, sheep farming town, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Got some really good friends in Cape Town. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to spend a fair bit of time in South Africa and also travel there with um, my family, uh, my wife and my eldest daughter and, um, you know, see kind of and feel that power. Like Africa is a pretty special place. When you step off the plane there, you can just feel it, you know, and there's not many places that you go, that you kind of feel that intensity that Africa really gives you. Oh, now, I a bit of a leading question. I spent three months traveling solo through uh, Botswana, Zimbabwe, or yeah, Zimbabwe is still is it still yep. called Zimbabwe, yeah. Yep. And I actually was lucky enough to to um, fly the garden route from the Trans Sky, which is a couple of hours south of Durban. Yep. Um, my family friends, I think it was my dad's or my godfather, he has got a house on the Transkai, a little cottage, and every Christmas they go and stay there. So for people that don't understand, the Transkai is where, the Transkai is where they shoved all the, all the black people um, during apartheid and they said, all right, you guys have all got to go live there. So you've got millions and millions and millions of people and then on the coast you've got 10, white, 10 cottages for, for white men. So you feel ridiculously unsafe but when you first get in there but then once you're in there on the coast like for me traveling you know from Christchurch from New Zealand um very small town it is just the the energy that you just said and the people are just so amazing it's just an inspiring place to travel the reason I bring it up my mate is is a teacher in Africa or South Africa he's a, a PE teacher now, one of the Tom Hammond, in case you're listening, um, one of the things that he brought up in regards to the whole um, ocean and, and, and plastic is it is in Africa and South Africa, it is education. So you've got these kids, you've got a rubbish bin in the corner of the school um, playground, and they'll walk past the rubbish bin and not even throw it in the bin. So, did you see any of, of what, you know, what were your, your thoughts in regards to? Pollution in South Africa. Do you do you see it increase compared to say Indonesia, as you said before? Do you think it's a a big problem over there or visually? Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> those two places that you mentioned, Africa and Indonesia, I think they lack that foundation of education. As a kid growing up here, you're taught to put your rubbish in the bin, and there is a bin there that then gets collected. You know, yeah, that's on a certain thing. day of yeah. the week. So, yeah, you, you know, you travel through, you know, some of the poor areas in, in Africa and obviously there isn't that education around, you know, trash and there's no infrastructure to collect it. 
So they don't understand, you know, that what they're doing is having a negative impact on the environment. Um, so, you know, I think to kind of break that cycle of poverty, it's like education really is a pillar that kind of underpins everything. Wixie, any final thoughts before we leave this uh, gentleman to his day? Look, not really. I think we've covered a lot. I think we've <laughs> talked about, you know, a lot of different ways we can solve this problem. I think just look, if you're listening out there in podcast land, just think about what you can do and how you can spread the word to your friends about how we can solve this problem. Don't don't think just because you're one person you can't make a difference. I think we all can individually, but collectively we can make a huge difference. But, you know, this is not a problem that we're going to solve overnight. Just I think try and make little changes in your day at least and, and also, you know, pick up the knowledge you've learned, you know. Take more interest in the environment. We've only got one environment. It's a localised problem as well as a global problem. It's right on our doorstep and I think if we can just try and just make a bit of a change individually and collectively, you know, shoot for the stars, I guess. But, yeah, just take heed, I guess, and work out what you can do in your day to help mitigate this problem. Thanks, man. That was very profound. Ace, um, mate, thank you so much for your time, mate. You're one of those people that – uh, have given lots of time, and I know you give lots of time to take three for the sea. Um, you use your fame, as, as for better words, to do some really cool stuff. And since meeting you, it's just a, it's been a real pleasure. All the best for the season, and um, look, mate, we just want to say thanks very much for for coming on, and having a chat today. Nah, thank you, thanks um, for inviting me on, and um, you know, all the best. I really respect what you guys are trying to do, and. Yeah, like you mentioned, I think it's time for, you know, us as Australians to show some leadership. It's time to time to stop being apathetic, you know, environmentally and politically and saying, oh, well, you know, this isn't going to affect me and, you know, go back to our phones and kind of keep scrolling because it is, it, it's affecting us now and it's going to affect our kids even more and their kids and we've got the tools out there to, to make a big difference. So, yeah, I think with small steps we can we can really kind of change the course of history and and the future, you know. So um, I'm definitely inspired to try and make a change and, and, you know, at least leave the world in the same state that I found it, if not better. Well said. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.